Welcome to the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. This is a podcast dedicated to the enhancement and awareness of effective leadership in our modern times. We will interview and chat with some amazing leaders who inspire and influence those they work and live with. As a transformational coach in leadership, I want to motivate you and transform your understanding of your ability to be a leader, not just in your career, but in your life as a whole. Well, 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 welcome back to the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. And you're joining us today as we have an amazing guest, Stephen Foster, who is the rector and leads St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. He's an advisor to the International Alpha Course. Uh, St. Aldate's is an amazing central Oxford city church. It's a growing church with many young adults and students, and it's seeing a lot of people returning to faith. Stephen uh, read law at Oxford and theology at Cambridge, and he worked as a barrister in criminal law for many years, and he's married and has four amazing children. And he's joining us to give us an insight in what it's like leading an institution in a city centre, in a city unique, really, for academic prowess, known as the City of Dreaming Spires. And he's been there a few years now, a couple of years, and it's going to give us an insight into uh, Generation Z and Gen Alpha and modern day leadership and give us some of the inspiring notes he sees of leadership that's growing up out, not just out of the church, but out of the city and out of generations that he works with. I know you're really going to enjoy this interview with Stephen. So without further ado, let's welcome Stephen to the Life I Lead podcast. Firstly, Stephen, thank you very much. I know your time is precious. You're in a busy role in a busy city. Uh, so we really appreciate you joining the Life I Lead. I've given a little bit about you in your bio, but give us a quick synopsis of who you are, where you're from and what brings you to this chair today. Oh, thanks, Nicholas. Well, it's a privilege to be with you, a real privilege to have this conversation. So I was born and bred in a little town just north of London called Luton. Uh, that's where I grew up and uh, went to my local quite rough school. And then from there, I went to Oxford, uh, where I read law and then practiced as a criminal defense barrister for a number of years and loved doing that, loved that job, and then felt a call to retrain as a vicar, a pastor in the Church of England. And so went up to Cambridge to do that for a few years and then worked for a church in central London for a number of years um, as a pastor and then came to lead uh, the church I'm at now in central Oxford, St. Aldate's Church, uh, just under a couple of years ago. So uh, that's been kind of our journey. And I'm married to Beth. She's amazing. And uh, we met actually at university. So um, we've got a number of little girls. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah, the only so man kind of, in your house, are you? I am. So yeah. And the, uh, the, it's, and so that's been our kind of journey in a nutshell, really. Yeah. And so an old dates as a church is pretty much smack bang in the center of Oxford. Yeah. It's a, a really historic site for Christian worship. When did you arrive there? So, uh, yeah, so the church, I mean, there's been Christian worship on the site for over a thousand years. And the, the, the university, which is part of the core of the city center, was kind of built around the church to some extent. 
And then, and then obviously now Oxford is much bigger, but the, yeah, so I've been there for just under two years. So I and arrived. it's an incredible city purely yeah. because it, it's like so many, it's, it's a little bit like the national trust or the monarchy. It carries this incredible weight of reputation that people yeah. lean towards, you know, it's the city of dreaming spires. You say you've studied in Oxford and immediately you hit this echelon of of wonder that people uh, associate with the city of Oxford. And uh, as you know, we live in Oxford as well. And, and yeah. I love it as a city. We've lived uh, just outside for 10 years. And one of the things that I love about it is not just its diversity or its academic background, but every time you cross the city wall, you feel this vibrancy. And mm. that's because of this transient population of really thriving, thirsty, hungry, younger people that yeah. really you don't find in London, you don't find in Nottingham or Birmingham. It is unique to Oxford. Yeah. And you found yourself now in two years in a leadership role in this city. What's that like? Yeah, well, it's a fascinating city. I mean, I think I've had two cracks. I think when I was a, when I was a student, I had no idea what was going on. You know, you're kind of 18 to 21. You're just kind of in a blitz, really. And I think coming back to it post-pandemic, it's been absolutely fascinating because there's so much more to the city than I appreciated. And I think it's a really interesting place because you've got, as you say, it's a highly diverse city, ethnically diverse, globally diverse. So as, as anywhere I've ever lived, as many different nationalities and backgrounds. Uh, there's obviously a lot of the kind of knowledge industry, so lots of, um, but also lots of spin outs from the universities, so tech, biotech, lots of that going on. And we all know about the vaccine companies and things. And then there's, uh, but then there's also, it's, it's, it's also a normal city as well. So you have areas of very high deprivation, you have areas of real need. And so I think for us as a church, we're, we're, positioned at the very crossroads mm. of this city, which is in and of itself at a global crossroads. And so our responsibility is to try as best as we can <laughs> to reach out to all those different demographics. Yeah. And so we see, you know, we one of our you know, alpha courses this term, we've had people from Japan and asylum seekers from Iran. And we've had people who are exploring faith for the first time from, you know, Holland. And, you know, and we've also had people who are recovering from addiction. We've also got people who are prison leavers. And so you do have this very fascinating cross-section. And so I've actually found that really interesting and exciting. That's part of, in a way, my story in that I you know, I grew up in in what might be described as quite a rough area, and then my school was very rough. But then I've spent quite a lot of time in quite privileged environments as well. And I think kind of trying to draw those things together, which is something I think the church does uniquely well, which is to draw together those with resource and insight and and wisdom with those who really need resource and um, coaching and mentoring, is is a really exciting opportunity that we have. It is, and I think one of the unique things about St. Aldate's, for people who don't know either myself or Stephen, my family, we worship at St. Aldate's. For those of us that don't know St. Aldate's, one of the inspiring aspects to it is it breaks a lot of the traditional stereotypes that people hold of the Church of England communities. If you stand in the middle of 
tame, for example, a, a small town outside the city centre and throw a stone, you can hit five or six Anglican churches, all of which are quite thriving, but they're thriving with a particular clientele of people. You know, and and you've come from a a church, Holy Trinity in Brompton, in in, in central London, which had its own demographic of 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 young people. But Oxford has this this mixing bowl of young people that breaks all the stereotypes of what church is. And I think that must correct me if I'm wrong. Put your leadership as a pastor in a very unique spot. You know, as a as a leader of souls, of course, you are guiding people towards a deeper faith and relationship with God. But there also is another aspect of leadership which you're doing for a generation of people. What what would you describe that leadership as? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So one of one of my convictions about the church generally, and I've been blessed to be um, involved in a number of wonderful churches, is that uh, generally speaking, the church naturally goes upward in age and inward in focus. Mm. So. So without even trying, and it might be true for all institutions, but certainly the church naturally, generally speaking, goes upward in age and inward in focus. And so it's only intentionally that a church will go downward in age and out in focus. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things I feel really passionate about is helping the church generally to go down in age and outward in focus. So it's not yeah. that younger people matter more than older people. It's just, we'll, we'll have older people. That happens naturally. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to be really intentional about reaching, raising up and developing younger people and, and particularly developing them as leaders. And it's not that we don't care about the people already in the church. We want to love them and disciple them and support them and, and help them in every way we can. But also the church, as is sometimes said, is one of those organizations that exists for those who are not already members. Mm. So we want to be intentional about going out with outreach, support of those who are uh, vulnerable or poor, but also um, helping people to discover and develop a relationship with Jesus. So we want to go, in one sense, down and out. Yeah. And that only happens if you're really intentional about it and are really willing to go after that. And part of that is ra- identifying, drawing in and raising up a really diverse team of leaders. So, so kind of volunteer leaders and team within the church because I can't do it all myself because although I'm passionate about it you know you can't connect with every single type of person you know I, I, sure. I love connecting with all different types of people but you need a you want as far as you can a team of people who can connect with all the different um, demographics um, and resonate mm. also with the different demographics um, and so you want to be raising up young leaders and uh, you want to be raising up people from different kind of backgrounds and and that's something we're really passionate about and when the church says you know, when church leaders say we want to raise up young leaders, what what are we basing that? You know, for a lot of people, leadership is so is so theoretical. You know, yeah. lots of people will measure leadership by qualifications, by courses, by leadership programs and accolades. But when we're talking about a servant church, when we're talking about yeah. a servant faith, how do we how do we create this leadership in this generation? What is it? What are the attributes that we're looking for? It's such a good question, Nicholas. It's a really good question. I think it looks quite different now and it's looking increasingly different because I think if you speak to I mean, one of the most valuable things I get to do is spend time with Gen Z, so kind of 18 to 25 year olds and Gen Alpha, kind of 15 to 18 year olds. Uh, and when you speak to them, and I think it's the most important thing any leader can do is to listen. You know, the more you're called to speak, the more you're called to listen. And when you listen to them, uh, you're really struck by the, lots of the assumptions that we have about what leadership looks like and how we lead uh, are different. And they, they want a very different 
type of leader. And I think rightly so. I think you know, every generation is looking at the generation before it and trying to learn from its mistakes and learn how they can do things differently. And so they want to be involved. They want to collaborate. They want to, they don't want to be in competition with each other. They want to work together. There's much more collaborative spirit amongst that generation. Want to take risks. Uh, they, they want to be innovative. They want, they don't just want one job. They want three, you know, <laughs> they, want, yeah. they want to work one job, pays the rent, another job, which is like their passion project. And yeah. then they want a side project they work on on a Saturday, which is kind of their way of kind of keeping their uh, energy high. And, and so I think that's a really fascinating thing. The idea that you would start a job at 22 and retire at, you know, 65 is just, completely alien yeah so and i think leadership really is influence and so you're trying to identify people who have influence and 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 want to wield influence in a positive yeah uh, edifying there's a verse in the psalms david led them with skillful hands and integrity of heart and i think that's something that really resonates with gen z and gen alpha is we want people who have skills we want we want we don't just want able yeah able leaders but the most important thing is that they have integrity of heart so they steward power well uh, they've got good character and uh, they're able to um and but you have to take risks i mean you just you just have to take risks and part of raising up leaders is saying to people why don't you have a go at this why don't you try leading this team why don't you try speaking at this event why don't you try leading the service why don't yeah. you try giving this talk and then setting them up as far as you can to succeed. So giving as much forward feedback, feedback in advance as you can and helping them and then helping them afterwards and giving them another opportunity and, and recognizing that sometimes they'll fail. That's okay. We all fail. And so yeah. kind of removing that fear of failure and, and, and saying we're in it for the long haul. We believe in you. We want to invest in you and, and see where we can go. When I when I left school many moons ago, not that many moons ago, but a few moons ago, when I left school, I worked for the church as a youth officer for two years. And then I went off to Birmingham to study for the priesthood, spent eight years studying for the priesthood. Wow, and one of the things, it, did, it was a long time. It was a long time. It was like a life sentence. Uh, and one of the things that was always adamant was about this servant leadership, but it was generally focused around this Sunday gathering of souls and how we nourish, how we nourish people through our servant leadership and bring them back each week and nourish. Them. And there's this huge transition and a right transition and a rightly intentioned transition that church is not about Sunday, that your leadership as not just a spiritual leader, but actually a leader of a, a business, you know, a church, an organization yeah. is actually Monday to Friday. It's, you know, the church membership rolls Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as well as that Sunday gathering, which is the pinnacle. And I've spent a lot of time now in business, working with businesses who have overcome this huge change from sitting in an office and leading a team to sitting like we are now through a screen and leading a team. And having built up this, this real tangible feeling that church is a lifestyle of 24-7, not just a Sunday, how has the pandemic change that where church went online your leadership went online the the formation of souls and the introduction of people to jesus went online and now here we are back again have you seen a change in how you're having to lead people yeah it's a good question i think we want the best of both really so it seems to me that those organizations who are really thriving in the kind of post-pandemic hybrid world are those who are not resisting the 
technological shifts, mm. but embracing them, but also recognizing the unintended consequences of them. So where actually they they you can have an attritional effect on relational capital if you're just if you're yeah. just doing online yeah and and so so we're trying to mitigate that but also uh recognizing some of the shortcomings and, and building in ways of doing that but also recognizing the huge benefits and it's not like a, 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 an in-person model didn't have its own unintended consequences yeah. its own shortcomings it, we just weren't really aware what those were <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's true yeah that was the only option so yeah so i think, I think everything has really positive consequences and also has shortcomings, unintended consequences. And I think we're probably just a little bit more live to what those are now. So, so I love the opportunity uh, for people to engage in our services and in other things we do through digital and through online. And I will, I hope I'll be able to do that for as long as I live, that that will be a thing and just grow and develop and continue to iterate. It means that, you know, people can engage with you all over the world. And uh, if someone's on holiday, they don't just have to miss what's going on. If people can stay connected to the community, even if they can't be present for a season. Mm. Particularly helpful for people who are uh, have a disability or uh, uh, facing a serious illness. Mm. But also just, just other people as well who want to stay connected with the community. So I think the, the strengths outweigh the, the weaknesses. And I think it, you're just trying to be conscious that you want to do both. If, if you're just uh, leading through the digital sphere, you want to maximize the opportunities you have to do in person and probably vice versa. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure we've done it, but we're working quite hard on trying to get there. <laughs> Looking at our current world, you're, you're in a unique position, Stephen, because you live with bucking the trend of so many things. Christianity bucks the trend of our belief in use of finances. It bucks the trend in our belief in elderly people as being a burden on society. We buck the trend in come unto me, little children and out of the mouths of babes. You know, the, the Christian faith bucks the trend in so much. It also bucks the trends in leadership. As you said earlier, we're after an authentic leadership that is yeah, authentic and in, a part of a lifestyle rather than a, a, a planned approach. What do you think currently are young people of various generations? What is the message of leadership they're currently getting from society, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, and I think there's probably been, it, we're probably still slightly facing a hangover from the pandemic that there's, you know, in crises, crises reveal culture and they also accelerate change. <laughs> And so we've seen a massive shift, almost like a generational shift in leadership uh, at the same time as there's far greater confusion. Some, one of my friends has this saying, you know, we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex and angry. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and that's just increased. The world is yeah. the age of permanent crisis. The world is more volatile probably than it has felt like for decades. It's uncertain. No one really has certainty. Uh, it's highly complex, highly complex challenges that all leaders are facing at the moment, uh, just just in the nature of uh, trying to lead people through these challenges. And then there is there is a, 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 an interesting amount of anger out there, just in, just in the ether, really. And so I think that is all happening at the same time as we've seen these big shifts uh, post-pandemic. And so what I think that means is you're seeing leaders get burnt through at a much faster rate than ever before. So, you know, it used to be that someone would lead an institution for 10, 20 years 
And that feels like even our politicians are getting, you know, <laughs> chopped. In like yeah. mu- in months, you know, yeah. you can find, you know, oh, it's the, the new shortest prime minister. Or the, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and, and that's not just in the UK, that's in, in different countries as well. Leaders who have been very successful and done very good jobs, very highly thought of, are resigning and, and just saying, actually, it's too tough. And that is a change. And I think part of it is the always on culture. Part of it is the rolling news cycle. Part of it is the expectation to always be able to respond to anything that's happening globally in a wise, considered, thoughtful way. Uh, and they're, they're all real challenges to muster. So I think there's a crisis of leadership at the same time as the younger generation is saying, we want a different kind of leadership. Mm. So that crisis is probably an opportunity for you know, emerging leaders to to say, actually, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And mm. we want to lead in a more sustainable pace. We don't we don't want to just do this for a year or for three years. We'd like we'd just like we'd like still to be leading in ten years or fifteen yeah. years. Probably. Yeah. And so, what is it? What are the big blocks we need in place? What are the what are, what are what are the ways the things we need in our kind of leadership team and in our structures and in our governance structures to try and ensure that we we can stay the course? And I think that's a question lots of younger leaders are asking at the moment. Mm, yeah, I think that's really interesting. One of the things that. Um, you know, I, I always reflect on I'm 46, 47. And so I remember you're quite right. Margaret Thatcher being, you know, mm. for as long as my youth was dictated yeah. to. Yeah. And then suddenly six came along, John Paul II, the longest reigning poet, and then six came yeah. along. Yeah. So the Queen, this is my first coronation happening next yes. month. Yes. Uh, so all of that is very strange. Do you think, though, that leadership as we know it, has to fundamentally change. You know, I look at things like I look at things like the NHS and I think this is unsustainable. I look at our welfare state and I think this is unsustainable. And I begin to look at things like our current method of democracy and I'm thinking this is unsustainable. And I work all the time with leaders and I coach business leaders and I'm thinking what you're doing in the way you're leading is unsustainable. It can't it can't go on like this even by the fact that certain generations upcoming are just not going to tolerate it. You know, do you think that's going to be a dilemma that's coming down the tracks to us? Yeah, I think it definitely is. So, I mean, it's good to think of an analogy, a non-controversial analogy. So if you look at football managers, it used to be that you could be guaranteed a season. You'd be guaranteed a season to try and make changes within the culture of a football club. So famously, Alex Ferguson was about two games from getting fired at Manchester United in his first season. Hadn't quite worked out, or it was really tough, and you you had a you had a proper opportunity to to make a run of it. And these days, if you don't get results in the first three months, you're out. Yeah, and I think that I'm not saying it's just bled from culture from football into broader culture, but I think it's symptomatic of what we. It's a particularly extreme example of what we see generally. I'm one of is, these people. I'm one of these people because I don't know anything about football, but it always seems really strange to me that the guy who who sat in the suit in his <laughs> nice polished brogues with a tie and a tie pin sat on the sidelines doesn't actually kick a ball ever. Is the guy who gets sacked? <laughs> Yeah, when the twelve or thirteen players, whoever it is, kicking a pig's bladder around the field, are actually performing, and they all turn around and go, "Well, these players didn't win, so we'll sack the bloke in the suit." Who was yeah. I know nothing about football. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, and so that is one of the ch- and it's just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Those windows of tolerance for failure, I guess, or for n- not having immediate success. And then, if you look at the political sphere, 
we ask our lead, and it's partly what we ask them. So we ask our leaders to solve massive national and global, long-term, highly complex challenges. But we judge them on short-term, immediate, ephemeral results. Absolutely. So you're judged on tomorrow's press, but your responsibility is to lead for the long term. And I think that gap between the short-term judgment of and the need for short-term results and the long-term uh, requirements if you're if you're exercising leadership is really challenging. And I think it's probably played out in every sector to some extent. There's this gap between you're judged on how things going this week. You know, what's the yeah. you know, if you're a politician, what's the press about you tomorrow? Yeah. Can you sustain two weeks of bad headlines as a political leader? Tricky. People start getting twitchy on the back benches. But at the same time, you're asked to reinvent the social welfare system or you're asked to kind of come up with a new strategy for the defense of the country or or yeah. for international aid. And these are like massive global complex issues that we're asking to grapple with. And so I think that's that's a real that's a real challenge. And uh, I, th- I think that's only going to increase. Give us a little insight, Stephen, scrape along the surface or, or go as deep as you like. That transition between working as a criminal barrister, which is a world of gowns, wigs and mystery. You know, it's the, it's the, the smell of oak and polish in a very high powered room to this, you know, very different environment working with the stratosphere of society in a very different role, in a very humble, in a very servant led yet accountable role uh, as a pastor that transition what was it that turned you off of of barrister life and turned you on to pastor life yeah i mean i love my job so i love being about such a fun job to do you kind of go to parties and people say oh, what do you do for a living you say i'm a criminal barrister and they're really interested excited yeah. you know yeah. and uh you know they say oh what case are you doing at the moment and say you're representing someone who's uh Imported, accused of importing a large quantity of, um, of you know, whatever. It's, it's inter- they're interesting people. And so I love that job. And I love that I was privileged to work with some really gifted barristers. And so I, it was so much fun. And I felt really called into it. So I would always say, as a Christian, that my work station was my worship station. So my primary place of worship was my day to day job and trying to, you know, I was called to be there. I felt passionate about justice always felt very passionate about justice in that context. And so to speak up for people, obviously it's sometimes complicated. Sure, yeah. But then to my surprise, felt really called to to leave that role and to go and train to be a, a vicar at, and a priest. And that was a massive transition and a massive shift. But it was really because I, I felt this call to help people encounter Jesus and you know, uh, while it was important what I was doing before, I, I felt that to be able to spend my life, you know, Monday to Sunday, um, helping people to 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 see what was significant about Jesus, what difference he might make to their lives, why he was the most interesting person who ever lived, and why you might even be able to develop a relationship with him now, today, in 2023. I, I just was excited, so excited about that opportunity. Someone once said, your passion's what you're prepared to suffer for. Uh, the word yeah. passion, pasque, means suffering. Mm-hmm. And so your passion's what you're prepared to So if you ever wonder what you're passionate about in life, it's what you're prepared to suffer for. 
And in one sense, my passion was being a lawyer. It was it was grueling hours and yeah. intense and very difficult at times. But I I was passionate about justice, so I was prepared to suffer for it. And in the same way, I, lots that I love about this job now. There's lots that can be challenging at times, but it's I'm passionate about Jesus, so I'm prepared to uh, suffer to have the opportunity to help people encounter Him. I'm a, obviously a great believer in faith, and the more I go through life, the more I and instinctively know when I'm interacting with somebody who is void of faith. And it's not that they don't have the ability to be faithful or, or live a life of faith, whatever faith may be, but they're not tuned into it. They're not, they haven't reached that little uh, elevator in their head that pushes them onto the faith boat. And I think that we're beginning to see this chasm between those who live by uh, a rucksack that they can pull tools of faith out and use in their everyday life and those people that haven't tuned into that yet. For people that are fed by this 24-hour news, for people that are going to the office and they've got a really crap example of leadership for people that are disillusioned by political spin and and an admire of of lies or sleaze or whatever the media pumps towards us and yet they haven't tuned into a life of faith what would you implore those people to turn towards as a first base of call it's easy for us to turn around and go you need to encounter jesus but for a lot of people that's a huge step that is going yeah. to be a journey on its own for this for the sort of monday morning drudgery that somebody's going to hit <laughs> what tools yeah. do they need to develop well i think i think it's a really i mean i i could give a couple of a couple of things that might be helpful for people say you're traveling in on the tube or on the bus or however you get to work and just just to try turning your worries into prayers. We all run through our kind of worry list as we plow into yeah. the office on a Monday morning. And I would just encourage you just to take a moment and just imagine, I wouldn't put it any higher than that at first, just imagine there's someone listening. Yeah. And so turn those worries into prayers. Say, please, God, would you help me with this? Please, God, would you help me with this? And it's great. One of the simplest prayers that you can ever pray, I'm sure God always loves to hear is help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, also, if you never tried reading it before, or maybe you only read it as a kid, but I'd, it's fascinating to, if you're disillusioned with leaders, have a read of Jesus. So, there's four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in any Bible you pick up, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And any of them is a great, just give it a go. It'll take you an hour and a half to read one of those. You could read a chapter a day, It'll take you about a minute, and just see what you make of him. Is he an interesting guy? Well, there's always wisdom there. Mm. And if you find nothing else, you'll find wisdom. I, and I try and read the Bible every day in the morning. Mm. And I find it often speaks into the challenges and the situations I'm facing. So I'd encourage you to, you know, even if you say, well, this is ancient wisdom literature, and I'm only reading it yes. as a, a piece of ancient literature, yeah. try reading an eyewitness account of Jesus' life and see what he says and how he speaks and what that teaches you. And then the third thing is it's sometimes fun to explore with others. So if you've never tried it before, I'd encourage you. There are these, you know, lots of ways of doing that. But one of the ways I found helpful is, is we lots of churches around the UK run these things called Alpha courses, and it's a great way to explore some of the big questions of life and faith and meaning uh, in a relaxed, friendly environment. It won't cost you anything. You'll normally get some food. You'll be in a 
small group of people like you where you can ask any question. No opinions off limits, no question out bounds. Here, I've, done, I, I've done Alpha and I've facilitated a group of Alpha and I know that it is extraordinarily successful and people are extraordinarily transformed having done it because it is done in such an environment. I mean, I don't know how many people, you're an advisor to Alpha, how many people roughly a year join an Alpha course across the UK, would you say, Stephen? Oh, I don't know, Chris. Um, around the world, it's probably somewhere between a million and a million and a half. I think. Which is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, because one of the things about it is that it gives that safe space for people to ask fundamental questions, not just about faith, but about life and and who you are and what you are. And I think this is a one of those pet peeves of mine that I I try and convince people that your leadership is completely intertwined and connected with your life habits. How you lead your life is how you're going to be leader. Yeah, And I think that most people need that space of something like Alpha, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I, I learned so much from it. So one of my favorite things to do is to be in a small group with a group of people, different coming from different backgrounds, different faith journeys, different perspectives, atheists, people from other faiths, people who are not sure what they believe and just listening to them. It's really yeah. interesting. You've almost, you, and, and you can bring your questions, your concerns, your ideas and no, it's, know that you're not going to be judged for them, that you're going to be encouraged. And people are, you have a really fascinating conversation in that dynamic. And so I absolutely love that. But it's also interesting for me because it's, it's almost like you have a focus group there as well. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're hearing different views and different perspectives. And that's a fascinating thing. And one of the dangers of, uh, the, one of the risks of leadership is that you, you spend time with people who relate to you in a particular way. And, and and that's a great thing, but you you always want to hear voices from outside the bubble, from outside the echo chamber, and yeah. people who say, you know, no, this is nonsense. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> and, yeah. What are you talking about? This is absolutely, <laughs> really, and that's really good for the soul, but it's also really good for it's really good for your leadership to have people who just relate to you as a normal person. Yeah. So people listening and they're very successful leaders in their field. It's one of the most fun things in the world just to get in a small group of people and just say, this is what I really think. Yeah, in confidential space, and that's that's great fun. It's one of those hated questions, isn't it? We're on a screen now, so we can smile and wink at each other because it wasn't it wasn't many moons ago that Stephen interviewed me for a role, and I'm going to tell him <laughs> now that one of those one of those pet hate questions and in interviews that people get, and anyone listening to this will resonate with it. When somebody in the panel goes, "Now, if you were to give me two of your weaknesses, what would they be?" <laughs> And everyone suddenly thinks, oh, no, uh, my humor's too strong, something like that. You know, it's always something cracked. But, but actually, you know, in your position, and this is not an interview question, this is for people listening, so it resonates and is relatable. Do you have an aspect? You know, you are, a, at the end of the day, a sole leader. You'll have people around you, but it's your name on the door. And, you know, it's, it's, it's your link in the chain of a thousand years of leadership in that site. What aspects have you really struggled with? I'm I'm going to push you. Don't give a don't give a trite answer. Don't give a lawyer's answer. You know, genuinely, what aspects have you thought? Do you know what this is really bloody difficult, and I don't know how to deal with it right now. I'm going to have to morph, adapt, flex. Well, I know I, you have to know yourself a little bit as a leader. So I was actually saying to my team this morning, one of my tendencies is not, it can be a positive thing, it can be a weak thing, it can be a strength, it can be a weakness, is that I love leading through relationship and I'm very effective at 
tasks. But when I'm under a lot of pressure, so when it gets very, very busy and there's a lot of pressure on, the risk is that I focus on uh, getting the tasks done. Mm. And if I'm not careful, I can take my off the relationship. So one of the things I've learned about my leadership over the years is when there's a lot of pressure on things are very busy and the tasks are piling up, yeah. it's to consciously take the time to make sure the, the relationship connections are strong. And I've only learned that through over the years failure where I've you know, gone through particularly busy seasons. And then you know, maybe one of my direct reports has said to me after about two months, you know, you, you cancelled the last two one-to-ones what's going on it's like, oh i'm so sorry i hadn't even realized i'd done that because you know there's some you're fighting some fire in another part of the organization you hadn't even realized it and they're like and they've said to me well those meetings are like the highlight of my week i really look forward to them i don't like missing them and i'm like oh i'm so sorry and so just being aware of that and that's where feedback is so important so just just because we've all got blind spots i think and so once you become aware of a blind spot then it's not like you can re-engineer your brain but you can just compensate a bit more for it and, and when you next hit a very very busy patch you can you have that voice you're saying oh yeah i mustn't i mustn't miss miss the conversation i mustn't miss the relationships as we go through this because there is a dynamic isn't it in a, in, a, in a world of court and criminality there is this thing about somebody is told you know you are this you are that you need to produce this you need to do that and and I know working in uh, the charity sector with volunteers, how you deal with volunteers can be very yeah. difficult. You know, yeah. There is this there is this awful feeling when you've got to tell a volunteer to do something. You're like, I can't tell them because we're not paying them. Uh, mm-hmm. And being a leader with being a leader of people's goodwill is hard work. Mm-hmm. Never mind just being a leader of people's spirituality. Combine that with their goodwill and volunteering. It's a recipe for a complete bomb cluster, isn't it? Sometimes. How do you how do you inspire and and draw people from A to B, lead people from A to B, and keep that goodwill intact? I think the first thing is you have to be never lose sight of the fact that it's the most extraordinary gift in the world that someone will give you their time. Yes. So I never want a volunteer to feel like they're a second class to a member of staff. Actually, in some ways, they should be honoured more than a member of staff because they are sacrificially giving their time and their skills and that's an amazing amazing thing and i think it's evidence of something really exciting happening when people start coming forward and saying oh i'm gifted in the area of direction or i'm gifted in the area of photography or i'm gifted in this area of music and i'd love to use my gifts if there's an opportunity i think that's a really amazing thing yeah and so just being thankful for that and and trying to remember to show gratitude for what people are doing with their time is is a really important thing and and then trying to make sure that you're listening to them because you know they say the loudest voices come from the cheapest seats it's an old <laughs> saying but i think but i i'm not sure if that's true or not but but i whether it's true or not i want to make sure i'm especially attentive to the voices of those who have skin in the game so yeah. if someone's a volunteer and they're giving their time they're giving their energy they're giving their gifts in order to help this thing grow mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be really receptive when they say, oh, I'm not sure about this, or do you think this is the right call? Or, And so I'll always try and prioritize time with them if I can, mm. uh, just to hear. If, and that, that's just trying to recognize that they've got, they've got a stake in this thing. And, and to push you a little bit, you know, you will also have situations where you've got people who are frightfully enthusiastic, but actually yeah. 
not brilliant at what we need them to do. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I always recount. I always recount when I finally left formation for the priesthood. It was the Archbishop of Birmingham who said to me, "Nicholas, when are you going to realise Jesus doesn't want you?" And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, you know, you have to let some people down very gently." For people in this position now, who are feeling like I, I need to get, I need to get this objective done, but I'm actually being hindered by this. Uh, manpower issue how do they go about it how do you get rid of your goodwilled enthusiastic volunteers when you need to it's one of those two yeah, subjects I, I, yeah i don't know i mean i i'm i'm very blessed because i think we've got um, an amazing team but i think what you're all in any kind of leadership pipeline you're trying to help people discern what's the right place for them to serve and so I think it's not so much you're great at this, you're not great at that. I think it's more actually where there will be something, some way in which you can serve in any season. Yeah. And sometimes it's different things at different times. And sometimes that's just the capacity for the person or you know, maybe they're going through a major life challenge. They need to take, step back just for a few months and recover and we can find something a little bit less intensity for them. Yeah, it's just going on that journey to summit with people. And I'm not always great at it. But I think just remembering everyone's made in the image of God, they're precious. And you're trying to ask the question, what's the way in which this person can serve? And I always say to people, you know, sometimes the most one person can transform an, an organization, one person, just yeah. by being positive, encouraging, you know, yeah. present. One person can shift the culture in, a, in, a, in an organization. And so if nothing else, someone can serve by being warm and friendly and chatting. Yeah, to people and being... Absolutely. And I often challenge people that feel demoralized or, or downheartened by the position they're in is that they, it's also up to them. It's their responsibility as somebody following as a, as somebody being led to also set the mood, isn't it? To set the temperature, to set the framework of positivity and, and uh, ability. Really interesting. Stephen, it's easy for us to dwell on how difficult life is. And everyone's quick to say that as a chap of hope, as we all are, as an Easter people, as we all are, what are your signs of excitement for leadership of the future? What are your signs of hope and encouragement and inspiration that you're taking working with, you know, generations in the city like Oxford today? I'm so encouraged by the rising generation. I think that I was, I would speak to all these people who are kind of 18, 25, and I think, goodness me, you're wiser than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they see things so clearly. They cut through mm -hmm. so much noise. And there's a real desire. I think there's a real desire to make an impact at a very young age. There's a real desire to make a difference. There's a real awareness of what it takes to do that. And there's also just an openness to collaboration, which is yeah. really inspiring. Uh, there's, a big, a big, a prioritization of relationships, which I really admire. So, relationships really come first for the rising generations, and yeah, uh, and and a, and a willingness to get involved, and and actually not a cynicism. I think there there are times in life where there's kind of been a tend towards the cynical, and and that can become quite de-energizing for people. But yeah, I think there's kind of an openness. I I sometimes feel about this rising generation. It's like it's just very open mm. and there's lots that's positive about that. There are probably a few risks with that, but, but it's more positive than risky. I think and just a desire to be open to new ideas, a desire to be open to new ways of seeing the world and, and really keen to learn. So I think that openness is a, is a huge strength. 
And I, I think people are looking for truth. They're looking for mm. value. They're looking for wisdom and they're really searching it out. Yeah. And, uh, that's, I admire that really. And for those listening who are at that crossroads of any decision that they're really struggling with, give us, give us something to grasp us and carry us through this week of something inspirational that people can really, you know, I think took on board what you say. It's so important as leaders to make sure that those who are following you feel unique, feel made in God's image and likeness, feel like they are special because we're not just a payroll number. We're not just uh, an address. We're not just a desk. We're not just uh, an operating director. You know, we are individual people. And sometimes we lose we lose sight of that in a very blended media savvy world. Uh, and I'm a great believer in if you're going to lead effectively, then you've got to make people feel individual. For some people, that's a concept that they haven't even thought about. You know, if you're managing a thousand people, I can't separate them. They're just a group of people. Mm. For people caught up in those weeds, give them something that they can take with them tomorrow through Friday till the weekend and they can get respite. I think don't underestimate the impact you can have. So we often think we're having a lesser impact than the one we're having. And it's only in retrospect we we realize the difference we're making. So we think, oh, I'm not really changing the culture. I'm not sure I'm improving things for people. But then actually, we can be having a much more significant impact on people's lives than we realize. So trust that you, you're where you are for a purpose. I trust that it's not random. Trust that you were made for a purpose. Trust that your unique mix of calling and DNA and neurons <laughs> is exactly what's needed in your leadership position at the moment. And ask for guidance that you, you might be able to leave a really positive impact, whether you're where you are for the next 20 years or you're you're there for the next you know, 20 months. You could leave a really positive impact on the people there. And be the leader that you wish you'd had. Be the leader you wish you'd had. Amazing. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us on the Life I Lead podcast. I know that the, the few thousand people that listen to this every week will have drawn something relatable, inspiring, and influential. And we know your time is very precious, but you're a friend of the Life I Lead podcast. If people want to get hold of you, Stephen, can they use St. All Dates? Uh, should I put those details up with this podcast? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm very happy for people to, to get in touch. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, we wish you all the very best. Um, have a great rest of Easter tide, and uh, hopefully, we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much, Nicholas. Great to speak with you. Well, what an incredible interview. Thank you, Stephen, for giving your time and joining us today. Isn't it interesting how, even though we can look at the world with very dimmed and dull spectacles, that Every leader we've had on here, in whatever role, have given us some really tangible insight to not all is lost. There is hope. There is tangible, real hope in leadership. And that's all that we're trying to do here on The Life I Lead is just to raise your eyes from the ground beneath your feet up to the sky, up to the blue sky, because it's bluer than we think it is. You know, do not be disheartened by the fact that we are relentlessly told the world is crap, leadership is crap, you are crap. We're not. We are absolutely individually gifted, talented, and able. And what a wonderful message that if you're feeling like you're not making a difference, Stephen says, remember that you are making a difference. You can make a change. You are making an impact of positive influence. 
So there we are. Uh, have yourselves a fantastic week. Uh, if you want to be on the podcast, as I say, please get in touch. Um, remember, we've got our free event tomorrow on enhancing your leadership. Register at uh, www.transformationaleaglecoach.com or email me at transform at eaglecoach.business and register for this free event tomorrow night. It's only an hour. It's on Zoom. Get a Zoom link. There's no charge at all. And we're going to be looking at how to enhance your leadership, giving you practical tools that will carry you through certain situations that you need to work through as a leader in your workplace. It's being really popular. Uh, there's no limit on numbers. So uh, join. I'll be hosting that tomorrow, Thursday at uh, 7 PM. Uh, until then, if you're a leader, please be kind. And if you're being led, stay positive, set the temperature, don't read the temperature and have yourselves a great week. We'll see you same place, same time next week. Well, from all of us at the Life Ali podcast, thanks for listening. I really hope that something has resonated with you today. I hope this podcast is the start for you to know that you are capable of being a leader, inspiring others, and being fully present and alive in situations that need you to step up and be a leader. So, as I say to everyone on my coaching courses and one-to-one coaching sessions, tell yourself aloud every day, I am enough, I am influential. I am a leader. And join us here at The Life I Lead again, same time, same place, next week. And remember the words of Eisenhower. You don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership.